It is Tuesday, December the 20th, 2022. Welcome to episode 69 of Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. It is David Cohn, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle with you, uh, our producer, Dan Work, along for the ride as well. We hope that you are having a fantastic beginning to your holiday season so far. Hanukkah underway, Christmas coming up later this week. I wonder if teams around baseball are kind of like using this week to perhaps get some last minute deals in with free agents, maybe some trades done, or is it like the rest of the world where uh, anything having to do with work, it's like, eh, we'll, we'll wait till January 2nd. We, the, the heavy lifting can, can wait until after the new year. I doubt it. You know, the, the hustle never stops in this industry, but hey, you never know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out in short order. David, James, how you guys doing? Doing great. Happy holidays to everybody. And I see James, you're in the you're a nice Christmas tree in the background there. Looking very good. Thanks. We got we got the tree up. So happy holidays, everybody. Someone someone gave you some real credit for having the uh the Yoda topper on your Christmas tree during last episode. I think it was either on Twitter or YouTube, the YouTube stream. Someone gave you some major props for that. That's that's a job well done by you. Appreciate that. We love the Yoda tree topper. Better this, than your this, typical star. Yeah. <laughs> Does he do any Jedi tricks or is he just there for show? The uh, it, the thing lights up right here. Okay. Well, there's that. Very um, nice. Yankees Twitter lit up late last week, guys, because Carlos Rodon has agreed to a six-year deal with the Bombers, $162 million. We're going to get all over the Rodon to the Yankees stuff. Um, touching on a, a rumor that kind of grew some legs. I'm not sure what the validity uh, level is to that certain rumor. We'll touch on that as well. Look into the free agent pool, see what existing free agent pitchers are out there, tackle some other stuff. Obviously, we'll address other Yankee topics later on in the episode. But like we do with each and every week here, we begin the show with the opener from David Cohn. David, what do you have for us? Well, I think, you know, you you said it well, Shaq. I mean, the business of baseball has been front and center. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing sort of the residual effect of a new collective bargaining agreement. And the what the players wanted was to see more owners, more teams try, as opposed to tank, trying and tanking, uh, you know, diametrically opposite to each other. So, yeah, I think first uh, the first read so far has been pretty good in terms of the free agent market. The, the industry seems healthy. Uh, it, it seems to be that, uh, you know, that the lotto, too, as far as the draft, some of the smaller things that were implemented in the CBA, we've gone through the first round of that as well, where there's, you know, if you're if you're tanking, then you're not guaranteed to get that first pick of the draft in the, in the following year. So we had our first lotto in terms of, of, of the of that uh, in the draft going. I think on down the road, you might look at the competitive balance pick that's attached to free agents that might go uh, to the side, too, once they reach an international draft agreement, which may or may not happen. But they were pretty close or have talked about it, and I think they're going to continue to negotiate. So it's, what this all means is that. Things are moving in the right direction. We feel like the players feel like it's not just about the dollars and the, and the free agents that were signed. It's more about getting more owners into this buy-in theory. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, the Philadelphia Phillies model of being the last team into the playoffs record-wise and making it all the way to the World Series. The Padres certainly and and their ownership leading the way out there. So, yeah, expanded playoffs, a collective bargaining agreement that encourages uh, trying over tanking. Early results seem pretty good so far, and this free agent market certainly uh, would, would suggest that's the case. 
a lot of action early in the offseason. A lot of guys getting snatched up. MLB trade rumors, their uh, ranking of the top free agents going into the offseason. The top 22 are all signed, and we're not even at Christmas yet. And David, I just thought of this too, as you were talking about the, sh the shift in thinking, the incentives to trying to shift the owners and how they think. Like we're seeing teams make big signings, obviously, but when it comes to tanking, I can't think of a team at the moment that is shifting toward that direction. Like you have Oakland doing what they've done over the last calendar year, selling off their you know, their, their assets, but we've seen that in the past for them. I mean, they, they even signed Trevor May last weekend. They gave $7 million to a reliever, which kind of uh, raises some eyebrows there if you take a look at what the A's MO is. But I, I can't think of like that one team that is in tank mode for sure. And I feel like at this point in the offseason, we usually are able to identify a team or two in that group. No. No, that's true. And I, I think you, when you're talking about the Tampa Bay Rays or the Oakland Athletics, that there's venue issues there. They're trying to, to come up with a new ballpark or, or either stay or go, right? I mean, they're, they're, that, that's the real trick of this whole situation is that Major League Baseball wants to keep the next markets open for expansion, whether that's Las Vegas or Portland, Oregon or Nashville, Tennessee. The list goes on and on of potential Major League cities. If one of those teams has to move there, if the Oakland A's has to move to Las Vegas, then you lose that market, which is certainly a, a cost. There's a cost attached to that to the, to the major league owners. It's a very lucrative deal to expand. And then the, the, the expansion fees are probably going to be over a billion dollars uh, as a cost to, to, to get a new team in your city. So yeah, that's, that's something to watch and moving forward is whether those teams solve their issues with regards to their stadium and how much time is going to be allowed for that to go on? I know Oakland's kind of, kind of, you know, we've been hearing about that for a while. It's kind of getting to a to a boiling point in Oakland. Tampa's a different story. Um, they may have some other other avenues down, in terms of either keeping it in St. Pete or moving it to Tampa. Locally, there's some options there, but but nothing is set as of now. And until those those issues are resolved, the future of baseball is going to be impacted. All right. So James mentioned that MLB trade rumors is top fifty. Uh, free agents, their list there, free agents, the top 22 have found new homes or at least signed a new free agent deals. And the pitcher that was ranked third on that list was Carlos Rodon behind Justin Verlander, behind Jacob deGrom, uh, Carlos Rodon. He might've actually been ahead of, of one of those two because they cumulatively, they, they rank him. I think he was ranked sixth. Nevertheless, has a new home. It's a place where a lot of people felt that he would be the best fit. That's the Bronx. Rodon to the Yankees, six years, $162 million. If you take a look at that list, though, in terms of, at the time, the remaining pitching free agents, there was Rodon, and then you go all the way down to number 23 with Nathan Avaldi. So a lot of people were saying it. We were saying it on this show. This was a move that has uh, forced the Yankees to act. They were proactive. They get the job done. They bring in one of the premier free agent pitchers this offseason. What makes Rodon the ideal fit for an already solid pitching staff in New York? Well, I'll defer to James on some of his numbers over the last couple of years, but they are off the charts. And then you factor in that he's a lefty and a power lefty at that. 
And the most important factor to me was, is he wanted it. He wanted the Bronx and that don't underestimate that. I mean, you really, we all know playing in, in New York, especially in, in, uh, in the Bronx, it can be tough for a lot of players. We've seen it chew up some players in the past. And recently we've seen Joey Gallo talk about how tough it was there for him to play there. So uh, when you hear somebody like Carlos Rodon say, you know what, I'm from Miami. I like the East coast. I want the Yankees. That means something. He wanted to be a Yankee. And uh, that to me, says a lot and means more than you think it does. And just the fact that his numbers and that he's left-handed and a power guy and at at the peak of his career, as James will point out, really, really says a lot. It's the big move for Hal Steinbrenner. You know, we talked about Hal Steinbrenner getting booed at Yankee Stadium on a couple of occasions this year. We wondered how that would impact him. It wasn't just about signing Aaron Judge. It was the next step and getting Rodon really, I think, kind of sends a message to the Yankee universe that, uh, hey, he means business. He heard the booze. Uh, he's, he's uh, you know, he's going to react to it. And yes, they're going above and beyond where they've been in the past. Rodon has been spectacular over the last two seasons. Finally healthy. This is a guy who was a tremendous pitching prospect. He was the third overall pick in the 2014 draft, 2021 with the White Sox. 2022 with the Giants since 2021. If we set a 250 inning minimum, he's fifth in ERA, third in opponent batting average, first in opponent slugging, keeping the ball in the ballpark, first in fielding independent pitching, first in strikeout rate, sixth in homers per nine. If you look at baseball references war, he's fourth in the majors. If you look at Fangraph's version of war, he's third. He is an elite, elite pitcher, not without his wrists. He's had shoulder trouble. He's had Tommy John in 2019. But this is the guy who is, even if he keeps your innings down, he can provide so much value that he's still one of the best in the game. Even if he does pitch 130, 140 innings in a season instead of 180 or 200, like an old school starting pitcher, he has quality in his stuff and he has provided quantity over the last two years. I want to dig a little deeper into that K rate percentage uh, in a few moments, but David, you mentioned that he wanted New York. When you go back to your playing career, are there any teammates of yours that stick out in terms of them arriving here and you learning uh, about them and their desire to be on this stage and pitch for the Yankees? Is there anyone similar to what we're hearing about Rodon's desire? Uh, you know, it, uh, there's, there's certain examples throughout of, of guys who did the guys who, who didn't thrive in New York, get more attention, obviously going back yeah. to Ed Whitson, you know, back, back to the eighties, uh, Kenny Rogers had some problems in the nineties with the Yankees. Um, yeah, it, I just, you know, and then when they leave, they go elsewhere and relax. Kenny Rogers ended up with a really nice career after he got out of the Bronx. So the guys that were on the flip side that really thrived there, um, yeah, you know, I, I think somebody like a Tino Martinez really wanted to be there, wanted to be in New York, Tampa kid, Florida, loved the East Coast, got out of Seattle. Um, and then when he came to the Bronx, taken over for Don Mattingly, no less, just thrived right from the get-go. Maybe the first two weeks he struggled, but after that, you know, he really took off. And a big reason why, you know, that we had that run in the 90s post Don Mattingly. I mean, Derek Jeter at shortstop, everybody talks about, it, and that's a big deal when he was a rookie in 1996, but Tino Martinez too, coming over in 1996 was a big deal. And he really wanted to be in the Bronx, wanted to be a Yankee, 
was not intimidated at all by taking over for Don Manningly. Aside from not being a pitcher, there's some some similarities there with with Tino Martinez and maybe Carlos Rodon. Rodon has that reputation of being like a fiery competitor, and and that was Tino, no? Uh, absolutely was Tino. Uh, he was not intimidated at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the big difference. You know, some guys come into New York kind of wide eyed and then they kind of wonder what it's going to be like. And, and it takes them a while to acclimate. Whereas some guys like Tino come right in and they embrace it and they, they go right after it. And I kind of get the feeling that's Carlos Rodon. That's the way he's going to come in. And, you know, and James hit the, hit the nail on the head in terms of his production, his power. I think what he figured out was physically how to get his, his body in shape by training better, biomechanics, taking, taking advantage of, of that part of the analytics department, the, the, how you train, the biomechanics part, how your body moves. And secondly, which pitches to use? You know, he was kind of trying to find his, uh, you know, his, his mix of pitches, and he found out, you know what? I'm better off as predominantly a two-pitch pitcher. Let me tunnel effects. Let me, let me tunnel my slider off of that high four-seam fastball and just go one-two, a one-two devastating punch that serves him very well. I covered his games a couple of times on Sunday Night Baseball last year, and, I, and a couple of them were kind of tough, tough starts. But he just stayed with his formula in terms of just throwing more fastballs up the ladder in the mid to upper 90s, and then that hard slider that is just as good almost as his fastball. So you're talking about two really high-quality pitches that he's gotten, that that the analytics people have gotten to him and shown him, the more you can use your best pitches, the better off you're going to be. And I think that's what he's learned in terms of his repertoire over the last couple of years. He's been a little bit of a, a maybe a newer mold of certain pitchers that are very much four-seam slider. Jacob deGrom, Spencer Strider. Rodon, where the, you know, the thinking, oh, well, you can't be a starter if you don't have a third pitch or a fourth pitch. Well, if they're good enough, you sure can. This brings me to my next point here, because we've seen pitchers arrive to New York and there's something that has led to them succeeding, something specific. And the Yankees kind of like want to compound that with their own input. So if the Yankees tweak or make any suggestions to Carlos Rodon, what might they be in addition to that fastball slider combo? You know, I think right off the bat, probably not a lot. Uh, I think it's more about the catchers learning him a little bit and in certain situations. And that one, two punch that we talked about that fastball slider combo, I think the pressure is going to come on down the road a little bit in the six year contract when he loses a little velocity. And that's when that third pitch might come into play a little bit more. I know it did for me as I lost velocity at the end of my career, that some, sometimes you can subtract and less is more at the end of your career. If you can come up with some soft stuff, whether that's a change up off of that fastball and that slider. Um, the, the thing that, the thing that, that potentially on down the road that you look at is the home run to fly ball rate. The guy who lives up in the zone at Yankee Stadium a lot with the power, it's great. But as you start to lose velocity, as I said, on down the road, when he gets to 33, 34, 35 years old, that's going to be a question for the pitching department to come up with maybe something different to kind of take some pressure off of his two pitch mix. One thing that I find interesting about his fastball, he's a little old school where he, his fastball velocity will go up over the course of a game, similar to maybe Justin Verlander in his prime where it's like he saves a little something in the tank. It's like an older style of pitching where you're not going a hundred percent, you know, full throttle all the way through. He has one of the widest ranges 
in his fastball velocity in game. So you could look at his four seam average fastball velocity and say it's 95 and a half, but he has a range where he'll be in the low to lower to mid nineties and then ramp it up well over 95, 96, 97. So it's interesting to see how he's going to attack hitters. Now he's going to take that into a new setting. David, what does that allow Rodon to do effectively as opposed to just, you know, incorporating a changeup with that lower velocity difference? Yeah, that, that's it's an interesting point. I think um, the thing you have to understand, too, is that, you know, when, when he's doing what James is referring to, when he ramps up and, and really adds velocity, it's the efficiency of that four seam spin. You know, active spin and efficient spin really matters because that's the ball that jumps at the top of the zone. So he doesn't really have to go for the corners. He's just trying to throw a strike and work it up the ladder. And that takes a lot of pressure off when you, when you kind of, you, you, you just sort of are going for velocity at the top of the zone. <clears throat> when he's easing into it, you might want to pitch the lanes a little more in and out because the ball down the middle that doesn't get elevated at a lower velocity. Those are the ones that they get in the air and they don't come back. So I, I think there's sort of a four seam pitchers can pitch the lanes in and out lanes. And then when you're, when you're adding velocity, you just go up the ladder and you're not worried about in and out as much. Something else that that jumped out at me digging through the Rodon file. Um, seven career starts against Houston, sub two ERA, one point five five earned run average. So that doesn't hurt either. Um, yeah, like all season, it's the, the big question is like, okay, well, whatever the Yankees do, are they better than the Astros? Like, are, you know, does this make them better than Houston? Here, they re-sign Judge. We all agree. Well, this got them to the point where they left off from last season, signing Rodon. I think, and I believe you two believe this as well, it makes them better. But how much better does Rodon make the Yankees? Is this the the best rotation, the best starting five on paper in baseball? It's right up there, without a doubt. You know, when you, you consider the entire depth of the rotation and the replacements, too. And they go to six and seven, too. When you think about uh, whether that's Clark Schmidt or Domingo Hermana, as we speak, whether whether they'll be there on the roster or not remains to be seen. But I'm still a big believer, and you guys have heard me say this, and James has heard me say this on air many times. I'm still a big believer in diversity. I think that covers you. You've got a right-handed power guy and a left-handed power guy. And whether that's, you know, where that's going to rear its head is somewhere along the line you're facing a tough matchup and you go back to back with those two guys, there might be a hot left-handed hitter that Rodon can neutralize throughout the course of a, a short series or any time during the regular season when you have a big series that you need to win. That, that just helps. It just real to me, it just helps to have a different look and that diversity that adds that value overall to the rotation. So you, you've got the power righty and Cole, you got the power lefty and Rodon, and you got Nestor doing his funky stuff off of that, which really blends in well diversity-wise. And then Luis Severino, too, <clears throat> with his changeup and his fastball combination. And then Frankie Montas with the splitter at the end can be can add some diversity, too. He's probably the only guy in that rotation that throws a split finger. So I'm liking that part of it. I'm a, I don't know how to put a number on that, James. You've heard me say this so many times. It's hard to quantify and put a number and show it you know, show value to that. I just know psychologically as a pitcher facing a diverse lineup was tougher for me. And I know talking to hitters for years that they facing a different look every night was really a, a higher degree of difficulty for hitters too. And I think that's what Rodon does. He adds to the diversity that the Yankees have in their rotation. Well, some numbers you could look at and say, well, is it working? Well, putting these guys side by side by side by side in a rotation is a great recipe for success. I think it's the best rotation in the game right now. 
You have Cole and Rodon, a spectacular one-two punch. You could argue for Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. There are other guys you say, wow, what a great combo. Then you go into Luis Severino and Nestor Cortez. Nestor Cortez and Luis Severino. Order them any which way you want. One of those guys is going to be your number four starter. Look around the game and tell me who's got guys like that in towards the, the mid to back of the rotation. And as we know, it's always going to come down to depth too. So the Yankees had 11 pitchers start a game last year. That was actually tied for the sixth fewest in the majors. They still had 29 games started by pitchers outside their top five and starts. So it's always going to be about depth. The great thing about this sign is it bumps everyone else down a rung. Frankie Montas is your five. Guys like Domingo Herman, who you might have had to rely on a little more, they move back down into a depth role that's probably better suited for them. Most teams are using, using more than a rotation spot's worth of starts on guys outside their top five all year long. So as far as impact at the top, depth in the middle, having good guys at the, at the you know, bottom in the minor league level and the you know, swingman type of roles, that's going to be huge for the Yankees this year. And no matter how much talent a pitching staff may have, there's always going to be multiple questions that everyone has heading into spring training. But as it stands right now, when the Yankees' biggest question within their rotation, in my opinion, is, well, what version of Frankie Montas are we going to be getting in 2023 when he's pegged in as your fifth starter? I'd say that they're in a pretty good position uh, at the moment after the signing of, of Carlos Rodon. Uh, let, let's get to this pitching rumor that kind of grew a little bit late last week. And I believe it was first brought up by former GM, Jim Duquette, who does you know a great job on, on Sirius XM and, uh, and, and Sportsnet New York, among other places. But there were rumors and suggestions that Max Freed could be available for trade. Now, the Braves shot them down quickly, but look, Jim Duquette's not going to bring that up if he wasn't hearing or seeing some smoke somewhere. So uh, of all the big-time core players that the Braves have locked up, Max Freed isn't one of them. An extension is yet to come his way. The, the rumors were shot down, so let's just look at it from another angle here. If you are Atlanta, what could an extension for Max Freed look like based on the money that we just saw some of the top pitchers receive via free agency. Yeah, I th I think that's probably where the rumors start, right? Just to, to your point about the the money we are seeing going mm -hmm. for top starting pitching. Uh, starting pitching, you know, to me still is a very important part of the game. It's been uh, uh, demeaned a lot over the last few years because starters don't go as deeply into the games as much, and and the 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 bullpens are so strong nowadays, at, at least uh, in terms of power and velocity. So, uh, but we still saw last year, the starting rotation matters. Uh, if you can get through three times in the order, that's even more uh, of a big deal. And Max Reed's one of those guys and he doesn't really fit the model of top dollar that Atlanta's established down there. Right. I think that's where the rumors come from, unless they can get him signed at a comparable level that they've signed everybody else to sort of buy in and we're winning for championships here, we're going for championships, then maybe he does kind of break out. Maybe that Alex Anthopoulos might just think, you know, at some point, if we can't get him signed, that, that you need to sort of time this and maximize his value and kind of uh, recharge their farm system as they do in Atlanta because they've made some trades recently and then they've, they've traded a lot of their top, top prospects. So it, it, it is an interesting topic to talk about. I don't think now's the time, but it's it's an it's something to keep an eye on with Max Freed, especially if 
if he's not receptive to to a to a signing or to an extension. He has two years to go until free agency. This will be his age twenty nine and age thirty seasons. Mentioned the uh, the war list for Carlos Rodon being one of the best in baseball since twenty twenty one. Rodon was fourth. Freed is fifth on that list. He is one of the best. And Conell poke back a little bit. You mentioned that the the starting pitching being denigrated or diminished. While that is true in that they're going not as deep into games, all that does is underscore how important it is when you actually do have an ace-type pitcher like that. So when you have a chance to maximize your window with a guy like Freed, I think you got to hang on to him and try and push through here and get another chip in Atlanta. He's already proven that at the highest level. He's he's added the innings in World Series games. So something, yeah, to keep keep in the back of your mind, I think that's the best place to, to go about right now. Again, two years away from free agency. Let, let's just see where this ends up. But but keep Max Freed's situation in Atlanta in the back of your mind. All right, the, the top free agent starting pitchers that are still available, some of the names that jump out to me. We mentioned Nathan Ovaldi at the top of the episode. So you have him, you have Michael Waka. Uh, Corey Kluber, Johnny Cueto's coming off a, a pretty solid year. Zach Greinke's there, Jordan Lyles. Which one of the names that I just mentioned are you signing if you're a major league team? Well, I, th- I think I'm a little biased because, you know, covering the Yankee games, we see the Red Sox a lot. And I saw probably Michael Walker's best games pitch last year on on Sunday night. He, he just dominated the Yankees one night. Every pitch had a purpose in and out and, even though he's not a premier power guy, he still is right around league average, which is not, not slow. It's about 94 miles an hour on your fastball. He's probably in that range, 92 to 94 on average, but a great changeup that is still well above average. The guy knows how to pitch. He's perfect at the back end of a rotation, similar to Avaldi in, in that in that regard too as well. Either one of those guys can be really good pitchers to fill out your rotation from the three or four hole right there. Maybe even two, depending on the rotation you're, you're going to. I think probably Nathan Evaldi's probably the best one still out there. I, this is going to sound crazy. Johnny Cueto had a fantastic season with the White Sox last year. He, he basically got up off his couch and he came right in, in, uh, in about around May and he was terrific the rest of the season. And I know he's going to be 37, but you talk about a guy with guile out there on the mound. Johnny Cueto is it. And, you know, you, you'd have to be signing him for, you know, trying to fill out the end of the rotation, not looking for an ace. This is that we're at the time of the offseason where a lot of the big guys are signed. But Cueto, he, he showed me something last year. Yeah, I, th- I think the the names that are being discussed by you two, Waka, Avaldi, and now Cueto, I those are the top three for me. I think you're rolling the dice with any of them because durability is certainly a factor with, with all three of them. Avaldi stuck out of me because of, of the low walk rate. So when he is on the mound, you kind of know what you're getting there. But if I'm going to take a flyer, kind of roll the dice, might as well go with the guy who had the most impressive season over the long haul in 2022. That's Johnny Cueto. So I, I think I'm leaning toward that. See what see what he has left. Um Again, it's, I think it's a dice roll with with all three of those pitchers that are still left on the market. But let me see what Johnny Cueto has. See if he can give me, you know, even 85%, 80% of what he was last season. That would be a good one-year pick-me-up uh, for, for the back end of any rotation in the game. Um, 
the rosters for the World Series Classic, uh, World Series Classic, World Baseball Classic, they, uh, they're filling up here. We saw a lot of players come out, declare which country they would be pitching for over the last few weeks. If you are Team USA, and the coaching staff is loaded, if you, you haven't seen that, Mark DeRose is the manager, Andy Pettit is, is the pitching coach, Dave Rigetti is the bullpen coach of Ken Griffey Jr. on that coaching staff as well. But if you are Andy Pettit, if you're Mark DeRosa, right, pitching coach, manager, you're trying to make a recruiting pitch to a guy to join Team USA for the World Baseball Classic, what would your recruiting pitch sound like here? Well, it seems like, you know, players are in shape all year round much more than they used to be. And then that's progressed even with pitchers who throw all year round for the most part, maybe take a couple of weeks off here or there. So, you know, I think that, you know, the fact that the timing of the World Baseball Classic isn't as detrimental as it once was viewed. Spring training, it's a little too soon to be airing it out, especially on the pitching side. I think that that's been mitigated a little bit because of the training of some of the modern guys. So my pitch would be just that. This is uh, this is a chance to play for 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 pride, right? This this is an emotional one. This is a you know if if you're if you're part of the USA team, you get to wear that uniform across your chest. And, and a lot of guys, um, you know, maybe they never experienced that coming up through. Especially some of the guys that uh, you know signed out of high school. You know, they, they never got a chance to play in college or never got a chance to, to be a part of any sort of uh, USA team coming up through the ranks. So, you know, I think, you know, it's a pretty, it's a very simple pitch. It's, it's about pride. It's, a, it's about togetherness and, you know, and your countrymen. And then it's also about just representing too, you know, representing uh, yourself, your organization, but most, most importantly, representing the country you live in. So it's a pretty simple pitch with those guys. And DeRosa's great, as you said. The coaching staff's loaded. Andy Pettit, fantastic. I mean, uh, a couple of the nicest guys you'll ever want to meet. I think it would be a pretty simple pitch for me, too. Just fire up the video from 2017. <laughs> you know, you have the atmosphere. The atmosphere of these games in San Diego's Petco Park and Dodger Stadium. The emotion of the crowd, the, the, the players really getting into it on both sides. It was just great for the game. And to be a part of that, it's got to be awesome. And, the, and you, know, just, you also could say, hey, it beats the hell out of, out of the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League. <laughs> yeah. Less sure. monotony. You know, when it was first, when it was first talked about the WBC and I was in the Players Association back in the 90s, we talked about, oh my, if we can grow this thing, this is incredible because how do you handicap the best team? Because it really is that competitive. The Dominican Republic puts together a great team. Japan puts together a great team. Uh, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, the list goes on and on. Mexico, there's so many really good teams that it really is hard to handicap. You know, you'd think, well, you know, the USA team should be favored. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, it, it depends on who's playing. And when you see the pride of some of the other countries, you know, that especially in Latin America, the pride that they play with, how much it means to them. You know, you're right. You know, James, cue, cue up the videos from, from the past and show the passion. You know, show, uh, you know, also maybe have uh, Andrew Jones make a video and send it out because he was a great representative playing center field for the U.S. state team and that great play made in, in center field the last go around. So, yeah, uh, the passion really is the play there. I, I also just think it like gets you jazzed up for the start of the regular season in Major League Baseball. Cause it's, it's competition. It's more than 
like James was saying, or alluding to grapefruit league action, cactus league action. When, when you have uh, Adam Jones, Rob of the home run at Petco, like that's vivid in all our minds. It's, it's standing out. And then you, I mean, we just got off the world cup. You saw that obviously the enthusiasm isn't at the world cup level, but there's that sense of pride for your country. And I, I think it gets you geeked up and ready to go even further for, for the baseball season the regular season to start i'm kind of like pouring over the team usa roster of the the commits the guys who are locked in not to you know harp back on and, and rewind with nathan Avaldi here but he has committed to pitch for team usa and i know david you just mentioned like guys are staying in shape all year round they're throwing all year round but for a guy whose durability has been called into question over recent seasons. If you are an inquiring team that wants to perhaps sign Avaldi, are you a little weary of him pitching in the world baseball classic? Yeah, it's a valid question. Yeah. You, you definitely, uh, you wonder, you know, what kind of shape he's in. Now, you know, with that being said that he's going to be protected. It's not like he's going to go out there and throw nine innings or get pushed on short rest. He's going to get one or two starts here or there, depending on how many rounds they advance. So it's, it's probably going to be more quality over quantity as far as that goes. And you know that DeRosa and Andy Pettit are going to protect your guy. So, so you feel good about that, but it is a valid question because you're, you're, you're going to, whatever you're going to pay him, you're making a commitment to all of those guys who end up committing that, uh, yeah, you kind of hold your breath a little bit, but you understand it's for the, the, the betterment of the game, the growth of the game, uh, the overall value uh, that's enhanced for Major League Baseball as a whole is, is really uh, keep your eye on that, on that goal right here as opposed to individual little issues that you might have as far as injuries go. We haven't seen the enormous spate of injuries spring up from the World Baseball Classic. A, a big worry going into the, the advent of the tournament was, well, if guys are, are playing with more intensity than a typical spring training game, will they get hurt more often? We haven't really seen, uh, you know, a rash of, of uh, big injuries uh, from the World Baseball Classic compared to just ordinary spring training play. So I don't think that's as much of a worry because, hey, guy could get hurt in spring training too. Uh, let's get to our, our Yankee segment here. Definitely under uh, a working title, what we're going to call this moving forward. But – uh, guys, Aaron Judge has resigned, or he's at least agreed to. Word is that there will be a press conference before Christmas, so sometime this week to uh, reintroduce Aaron Judge. So keep that on your radar here. He's coming back. Carlos Rodon now on his way. Everyone wants to know what is next. That's always the question. What will the Yankees do next? So what is that next move that you would make to improve this Yankees roster? What the problem is, is that you've got a, a really good outfielder in Pittsburgh who's requested a trade and that jams up everything. I mean, every, everybody's been trying to get Brian Reynolds for a while now, and he's not even been around that long. You know, his name has come up for the last couple of years. The Yankees covered him. I think every team covets him. Switch hitting outfielder was from power. Uh, the fact that he came out and said, I want to be traded just. He's the guy. He's the, he's the number one pick. If you're the Yankees, you're, but you're not sure if you can get him. So that's just going to jam you up. Do you, do you try to make a play for a Michael Conforto to play left field? You obviously need outfielders. The Yankees need outfielders. They have plenty of infielders. Uh, you know, they're probably going to trade from, from uh, one or two of those guys uh, potentially before spring training or at some point. So yes, who plays left field? What are you going to do? They'd love Brian Reynolds. They're going to wait it out and see if there's any way they can pull it off. But the acquisition cost is astronomical. 
you're talking about your top two or three prospects to try to get that trade done. I'm not sure that that's, uh, that's the price the Yankees are going to pay. Uh, it, it certainly, uh, you know, Volpe is, is a guy that's getting so close to the big leagues right now, even Peraza for that matter. You know, you could say you have one or two, pick one or two, but what about Jason Dominguez, your best outfielder in the minor leagues is going to be in double A. Would you trade him too? Uh, what else would it take to land a Brian Reynolds? We've heard rumors that the, the costs are astronomical. The ask are just uh, above and beyond. And as they should be, because he's a guy that provides about 25 to $30 million worth of production at about five or 6 million because he's under contractual control. He has tremendous surplus value with him that, that comes along for the ride. So all that being said, the Yankees still need an outfielder. And the fact that Brian Reynolds actually requested a trade has kind of jammed things up in the outfield market in my mind. The Pirates reported ask in a Brian Reynolds package was, uh, from what I read, was a was a Soto type return, which is completely preposterous to me. But the Pirates can ask for what, whatever they want, and if they don't want to trade them, they don't want to trade them. So, considering that the best free agent bats are off the market, and a trade would you'd have to either trade off of your big league roster. So you'd be trading wins and value from one side of the team to another or from the minor leagues, maybe the free agent route or just a reclamation project, sort of a smaller move is best at this point. I think it, looking at who's available out there right now, I think the best shot might be to roll the dice with Michael Conforto. It's yeah. a little bit of a weird situation because he's, 30 he or he will be 30 by opening day um, and he didn't play in 2022 but this is a guy with a career 124 OPS plus and he's averaged per 162 games he's averaged 28 homers and 85 RBIs and he's but he's had some injury trouble he didn't play in, at all in 2022 because of his shoulder injury but I think if you're going to buy low on a guy this is the type of player to do it for. I agree with you there. I think, I think Conforto's the perfect, like one, maybe multi-year deal with the opt-out after the first to have him try and reestablish his status in free agency. Jerickson Profar is another left fielder there that the Yankees have kind of long been linked to going back to his days in Texas. But yeah, James, that pirate task is outrageous. And I'm curious because this isn't the NBA, right, guys? Like, isn't the NFL either? Big deal that someone requested a trade. They they virtually hold no leverage. At the same time, you don't want to be that team that is, uh, you know, employing a guy who you know isn't happy. So I think there really is no leverage there. I think the Pirates kind of just say, hey, deal with it. But I'm curious, David, how much leverage does a player have in that situation? Like, why... Uh, why other than letting the pirates know and Brian Reynolds could have done that privately. Like what, what is the point of letting people know that you requested a trade there? You hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, he could have requested it privately, but he didn't, he let yeah. it be known publicly. So that's the only leverage he does have to sort of publicly. And it, it's a, it's kind of a ballsy move. If you think about it, you know, he, he kind of leaves himself open a little bit and certainly to the Pittsburgh fan base, and if, especially if they don't trade him, but yeah, that that's a bold move where you go publicly and say, you know what? I want out of here. I want to, I want to be traded. And you're exactly right. That could have been internal. He could have just kept it in house and had his agent try to try to work it as best as he can. But uh, James is right. He has no leverage. 
Pittsburgh even came out and said, you know what? That's really unfortunate, but business is usual for us. We're not going to trade him. But in the meantime, there's an, every other GM is asking Pittsburgh what, it, what it's going to take. So that's what Brian Reynolds wants. He wants to push the market and find out if there's a fit somewhere. And the fact that he came out and publicly declared that he wanted to be traded to me was significant. And we don't see that much in baseball. Like you said, comparing it to other sports, because there really is no leverage. So I'm curious as to see how this plays out uh, because of the, you know, because of the way he's, he's come out and, and boldly said, I want out. One other thing before we end the show this week, uh, we, we, we always talked about in, in previous episodes this offseason how much the shortstop market would be dictated by Judge when he agreed to his next spot. The the big four shortstops that were available this season, Swanson, uh, Bogarts, Correa, Turner, they'd all find their homes then. Trey Turner didn't wait for Aaron Judge. The other three, though, they they found their next spots. Uh, Danzy Swanson was the latest one, the last one to sign with the Cubs. So now that... Dansby Swanson has signed and he was the last of the four big free agent shortstops. Could we begin to see some more trades pop up because they've been quiet on that front for this off season. Yeah, you would think so. Now you have up until spring training now, really, even, you know, think even if you're talking about putting together something creative, like a three team trade, we've already seen one of those go down. So that's the interesting part to me is, GMs love talking trade. There's always, there's been through the winter meetings, all sorts of, uh, you know, scenarios been, been laid out to sort of lay the groundwork for potential trade. So general managers kind of know right now where, where everybody stands and what everybody wants and the needs and everything that goes with that. So yes, they would love to pull off trades. I think Brian Cashman showed that last year with the trade he pulled off, uh, you know, and with, with Gary Sanchez and, and Urshela and the whole left side of the infield you get the feeling that the Yankees would love to do something like that again this year. I'm not sure if there's going to be takers, if there's some contracts, the Yankees want to unload. I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not, whether you want to say that that's Hicks or Donaldson. I'm not sure unless you attach a prospect to it, or if there's the right matchup to where something like that can happen. Um, it, it, it doesn't seem like uh, the, the, the chances are very high right now of, of either one of those guys going, maybe Hicks in, in a bigger part of a deal, but It'll be interesting to see if there's some three team trades get, you know, brewing or, or what happens, but you're exactly right. It, it, it's time for the trade season. All right. Now it's a matter of whether anything's going to really happen now, or like we said, wait till after the new year, business can wait time to be merry time to celebrate with family and friends and uh, take in this, uh, this holiday season guys. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. I wish you both a very happy and healthy holiday season. Uh, James, a Jedi-worthy holiday season for you with, with Christmas coming up and that uh, that tree topper is looking sharp. Uh, you guys have any big plans at all? No, nothing. Quiet. Okay. All quiet. All right. Quiet. Sometimes best that way. That's right. Keep no, it low-key. I did sign a free agent contract on Christmas Eve with the Yankees one year and the PR director, Rob Butcher, uh, was not there. He had gone home and George Steinbrenner ended up firing him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a blast from the past. He's still in the game. He ended up uh, going to his hometown uh, and then getting a the PR job there still in the game. But that, yeah, Christmas Eve, I ended up finally making a decision one year with the Yankees back in the 90s, signed a free agent contract. George called his PR director who had gone home for Christmas on Christmas. And he never returned. He's just stay home. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Wow. And actually, I saw him last uh, last winter or last last summer. I finally saw him, and we laugh every time I see him. We laugh about that story, but it worked out good for him because he got the job in his hometown, and you know, and it all's well that ends well. But you never know, Christmas Eve, <laughs> you never know something could happen. Keep it locked into your phone, I guess. Uh, don't make don't make that New Year's resolution, especially uh, later later on in the holiday season. Keep keep your phone locked in, and uh, MLB trade rumors, Twitter, all that stuff. Anything can happen. You get a signing on Christmas. You never know. Uh, all right, that's gonna do it for this episode. Again, we appreciate you spending some time with us this week. Please go subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see what we're doing here on the show and see James's tree topper. It's terrific. Uh, again, big thanks to producer Dan Work. And for David Cohn, for James Smythe, I'm Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next time on Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care, everybody.